0: Good evening. It's good to be with you this Lord's Day. I do want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers. And thank you for your sacrifice and love and service that you show for your children and bringing them up in the Lord. Our sermon text for this evening will be Revelation 19. And I want to encourage you to take your worship order in your hand and stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Holy Word. But this evening, we are going to read a portion of this text together. And so I will read the part of the text that is in the plain print, and I encourage you to read the part of the text that is in bold print. And in this way, we will not only hear the Word of God, but we will also participate in reading the Word of God, stating the Word of God together, and joining our voices to all of those saints who uh, sang these songs when John saw the revelation from Jesus Christ. The Word of God reads from Revelation 19, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on his horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. Here we are making our way through the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we're in a section of the book that is filled with a variety of visions. We've had images of dragons and beasts and prostitutes and lambs and followers of the lamb on a mountain. We have a variety of images coming at us, and we see a great conflict between the forces of good and evil, between Christ and the world. And right in the middle of all of this conflict and controversy, a wedding breaks out. Why is a wedding taking place in the midst of this conflict, in the middle of all of this warfare and judgment and condemnation? Well, keep in mind that the book of Revelation has revealed to us a variety of images of people gathered to worship God, worship the Lamb, worship around the throne of God, and so... Scene after scene, vision after vision, we have glimpses of worship taking place in heaven and on earth. And this vision is no different, for here we have worship taking place in the midst of this warfare, but on one hand we see that worship is a wedding. On the other hand, we see that worship is warfare. But the two things are not opposed to each other. They're not in contradiction to each other. They actually complement each other, as we will see in just a moment. We have just participated in raising our voices up to God and raising our voices with the multitude in heaven and singing and crying out these very songs that appear. These are the wedding songs. Four of them appear. One song celebrates the saving judgment of God. Another song celebrates a sigh of relief and reprieve. It's a time of reflection. Another song is a call from God for us to praise Him. And then the fourth and last song of this wedding is a response in which we gather once again to worship. And why do we gather to worship once again? The answer is given. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. In the midst of all of this worldly conflict, in the midst of all of this tension and strife that we've seen, suddenly a wedding breaks out. This is a sign, by the way, of new creation. Think all the way back to Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. What was the crowning achievement of his creative work? It was not merely the creation of man or the creation of woman, but it was the creation of man, male and female, in the image of God. And in that creation, we see the formation of a union, the establishment of the marriage covenant. Here in the book of Revelation, in the midst of all of this work of Jesus Christ, of undoing the curse and bringing about new creation, we have once again a wedding It's not the wedding between Adam and Eve. No, it's the wedding between the last Adam and his bride. This is a sign for us that things are being made new by Jesus Christ. Worship is a wedding. Worship is warfare. And given the context and the climate of our culture, we could say that weddings in and of themselves are a kind of warfare against the forces of the world, against the pressures of our culture. Though it's subtle and not stated overtly in this passage, we see that even here, marriage is presented as a covenant union between man and woman, between one man and one woman. There is no such thing as homosexual marriage. In the new creation, as in the old creation, marriage is the union of one man and one woman. In this story, it is the union of the Lamb of God and His bride. Who is the bride? Well, the bride is not simply the woman who has made herself ready for the Lamb. That is true enough as revealed here, but the bride is the People of God, who have been redeemed by the Lamb from every nation and tribe and language and people. It is the community of the redeemed who have been clothed in fine white linen, bright and pure. They are dressed appropriately for a wedding. They have prepared themselves for this moment of finally coming into union with the Lamb who has redeemed them they are dressed appropriately for a wedding, they're going to match the bridegroom. The bridegroom was revealed early on in the book of Revelation, dressed in white, fine linen. And throughout Revelation, we see that wherever God's people appear, they are given these fine linen garments to wear. Not as tokens to keep them quiet, not as gifts to make them go away, but they are dressed in fine linen so that they can identify with their covenant head, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this is cause for celebration. There is a wedding taking place and there is a wedding feast spread for the people of God set out in front of them in the midst of the chaos of the world or To use the language of the psalmist, a table has been spread for them in the presence of their enemies. And so while all hell is breaking loose around the world, God's people gather together with the Lamb, with His flock, with the shepherd and His people around a great table to share in the Eucharist meal, the covenant meal of thanksgiving and blessing. To eat and drink with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who has taken away their sins. So wedding is a kind of warfare. And it fits perfectly in the story of Revelation. It fits perfectly here in the midst of things if you understand the context of the story of the Bible. It's not out of place at all. In fact... Echoes of the prophets appear even in this story. For example, in Isaiah 61, we learn that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We see the fulfillment of that vision here. Later in Isaiah 62, we we get more of this language. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I know it's hard to remember everything we've seen and heard in Revelation, so let me remind you of something we saw last week. you remember the woman we met last week? the great prostitute, the mystery of Babylon? Remember how deceitful and seductive she was. Remember how hideous was her strength. Do you remember how much trouble she caused in the world? Now standing in sharp contrast to that great prostitute is the virgin bride of the Lamb of God. You see the sharp contrast in these images. And so on one hand, the people of God rejoiced at the fall of Babylon. Fallen, fallen as Babylon the Great, and hallelujahs went forth. But now, the people of God are celebrating something else. The arrival of the bride of the Lamb, because she has made herself ready The vision says it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And what is this fine linen? It is the righteous deeds of the saints. So in contrast to this great prostitute, the bride comes. She's made herself ready. She is adorned. She's prepared herself for the Lamb of God alone. And so as unfaithful as the great prostitute was, the bride is totally faithful. And as hideous and tricky and deceitful as the great prostitute was, now we see the beauty and the faithfulness and the truth of this bride of the Lamb of God. We've met her before in our series, in our walk through Revelation. Remember, she was a woman. We saw her. She fled into the wilderness to escape the dragon. She went into the desert, and now she is rescued from exile. She went away to preserve her life and to escape trouble, but now she's been redeemed and brought forth and lifted up for the wedding. In contrast to the great prostitute who was cast down in shame, this bride of the Lamb has been called up for glory. And so that's the first part of the vision that I want you to see is worship is a wedding and wedding is a kind of warfare. It's a warfare against unfaithfulness. It's a warfare against sexual confusion. It's a warfare against a culture that has broken faith and covenant with God. And so each one of you who have cultivated faithfulness in your marriage. Each one of you have pursued that and worked through the difficulties and struggled through that in your marriage and you've held on to covenant. You've repented when necessary. You've obeyed. You've loved. You've forgiven. You've worked through hard things. You're pursuing the right things. Your marriages are reflections of the marriage of the Lamb and His bride. Your marriages are dress rehearsal for that great and glorious wedding of the Lamb and his bride. Just as when we come to the Lord's table, it is dress rehearsal for the day, the time when we come together around the table of the Lord and we eat and drink with Christ and his church forever and ever. Part two, warfare. In the latter part of this vision, we have this description of warfare. And what is interesting here is that in the vision, you have the bridegroom coming. And look how he comes. The bridegroom is coming on a white horse. He is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Years ago, there was a... There was a singing group out in a place where I was living, and I knew the guy who uh, was leading that group, and he actually composed a song that goes along with this. <laughs> I will not sing it to you, although I'm very tempted uh, because of some things that happened yesterday, you know. But um, <clears throat> I'm not going to sing it to you. But I memorized this by virtue of learning that song. The interesting thing is this is all about Jesus, and it centers us on who Jesus is. We've seen him as a lamb. We've seen him as a, as a lion. But now we see him as Christus Victor. Christ, the victorious one, the conqueror who comes on his white horse, wielding a sword, leading an army of people dressed in fine linen, keeping with the vision we just saw. Think of it this way, that this is not a different group of people than the bride. No, the bride is coming with him and she is a warrior princess. She is a warrior princess. She is a, this is an image of Christ leading the church militant against the enemies of God. Throughout this book of Revelation, we've seen these images of Christ appear again and again, and now they're all put together for us, and we see, oh, He's not just a weak lamb. He's not just a weary lamb who barely survived the crucifixion and made it through the tomb, and now He's alive on the other side. No, He is a glorious, majestic conqueror who has overcome sin and death and the devil and the flesh and the world. And he comes wielding a very sharp weapon, and this weapon is the Word of God. Now you have a lot of people who will read a passage like this, and they will take it and they will run to the nearest new Anabaptist or the nearest pacifist and they will say to that person look you can't be a pacifist because Jesus is wielding a sword against the enemies of God he's no pacifist he's a warmonger right he's a hawk not a dove it would be wrong to politicize this passage in that way I want you to see that when Jesus goes after his enemies he really and truly goes after his enemies But He does not go after His enemies the way we do in the flesh. He's not wielding the weapons of our warfare. He is wielding the weapon of truth and faithfulness and righteousness. He is wielding the Word of God, and it is with the Word of God that He slays His enemies. It is with the Word of God that He overcomes those who rise up against Him. It is with the power of His Word that He conquers the world. We sing in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in that hymn, we sing about the defeat and conquest of the devil. And one of the lines we sing is, One little word shall fell him. One little word shall fell him. That is the power of the Word of God coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. One little word shall fell his enemies. You notice even in this vision, there's a lot of buildup to the war. Uh, The Lamb of God goes out, the Word of God riding his horse, the army of God dressed in white fine linen. This is not the weapon. This is not the, uh, the atomic of worldly armies they're dressed as priests they're dressed as a bride and they go out to make war and there's a lot of buildup to it and then just as you get to the point of you think you're going to see a ferocious battle with the clanging of swords and the spilling of blood and tears and sweat it's over before it gets started One little word shall fail him. If any of you ever had the occasion to read Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, you will see that he approaches his narratives on warfare in precisely this way. He's reserved, understated, leaves much to the imagination. Because the point of the battle or the point of the story is not to tell you all the nitty-gritty details of the warfare. The point of the narrative is to show you how majestic and glorious Jesus Christ is. There's some Old Old Testament precedent for this, by the way. If you have some time, go back and read 2 Chronicles 20. And you will see that that serves as a great background for Revelation 19. The story there lays out in exactly the way that we've seen Revelation 19. Because in that story you have a king who is confronted with enemies and he is wondering what he must do to protect and defend his kingdom and his people. And so he falls on his face to the ground and he gets the people to fall on their faces before the Lord and they pray and they worship God. And then the Levites, those who are dressed in fine linen, And the musicians who are dressed in fine linen, they stand up and they begin to praise God with a very loud voice. And then they begin to march forward. And it is the worship musicians who lead the people of God out in their warfare. Worship and praise is warfare. What we're doing this evening is a part of our warfare. We seem like a puny army. We don't seem to be much of a threat to anyone. But one little word will fail him. And in the narrative, in Second Chronicles 20, we have this image. When the king had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men, against the enemies, who had come against his people, so that they were routed. For those people rose up against His people, and they were devoted to destruction. And they even helped to destroy one another. When God's people came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde. And behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And when the king and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods and clothing and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. And they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Same thing is happening in Revelation. You see how God wages warfare is very different than the way men wage warfare. God's people wage warfare by following the Lamb into battle and through battle into the new creation. And how do they do it? By singing the praises of God, by worshiping God, by praying to God, by going out dressed in fine linen. We're not out Flashing our swords and waving our banners. We go out dressed in the faithfulness and the righteousness of Christ alone. As we learn from other kings who were our forefathers, the battle belongs to the Lord. So our enemies may come against us with sword and spear. They may come against us with threats. They may come against us with lawsuits, whatever it may be. And yet we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. In, in the book of Revelation 19, we see that the battle is actually over before it ever gets started. Everything is told in reverse order. People are praising God and the downfall of His enemies, the salvation and deliverance that come through His judgments. Victory is known and declared by God and His people long before they step onto the battlefield. The only ones who don't seem to know what is going to happen are the enemies of God whose flesh is ultimately devoured. Years ago when I started in ministry, I was... uh, sort of an apprentice, assistant to a man who was a new preacher. We were basically learning the ropes at the same time. He was a few months ahead of me, but he was also older than I was, and he was fun to be around. And I remember he was preaching through the book of Revelation, which everyone thought this is a massive undertaking for a man who is recently out of Bible college and a man who barely has any ministry experience. Um, He told me that he got a lot of help from commentaries and such, and we also had a good teacher. But I'll never forget that when he was preaching through Revelation, he said uh, in chapter 19, he says, you can summarize all of Revelation 19 in this way. It comes down to this. Eat or be eaten. Eat or be eaten. You can eat with Christ at the wedding feast or you can be eaten with the beast after the war. And it is to that crossroads that we come, don't we? Will we eat or will we be eaten? I was thinking about how strange Revelation 12 to 20 is. It's a strange part of the book. You could argue the whole part of the book is strange, but every week I'm like, this is really strange. How are we going to make it through this together? And for those of you who might feel a little bit disoriented, let me just say to you, here's, what, here's a good way to summarize this section of Revelation. It comes down to this. Here's the story. Kill the dragon, get the girl. Kill the dragon, get the girl. And that's what's happening here. Is the Lamb of God has gone against the dragon with all of his forces, all of his compatriots, and he's bringing down the dragon. Why? Because he's going to win the girl. And who is the girl? The girl is the bride who has made herself ready by dressing herself in righteous deeds, by dressing herself in imitation of Jesus Christ who's taken away her sins. Well, it would hardly be a sermon from Revelation if I didn't quote Eugene Peterson at least one time. And my indebtedness to him and his book, Reverse Thunder, should be known by now. Uh, But without shame or remorse, I do want to summarize what we've seen this evening by pointing out something that he mentions here. He says, The contrast between a wedding feast and warfare could hardly be more extreme, but it is complementarity, not contradiction, that we experience as we submit to the images. Salvation is the intimacies and the festivities of marriage. Salvation is aggressive battle and the defeat of evil. Salvation is neither of these things by itself. It is the two energies, the embrace of love and the assault on evil in polar tension, each defined by the other, each feeding into the other. So what have we seen this evening? We've seen that worship is a wedding feast and worship is a warfare. And we've seen that the Word of God is the one who grants us victory in both. And I hope and pray that you're encouraged by these things. I hope and pray that in your marriage, you're encouraged by these things. And in your daily struggle in life, that you're encouraged by these things. Knowing that your victory is granted to you by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is a great cause for rejoicing and for resting in the Lord. I'd like to end this evening with A reading from Psalm 45, which I want to use as the pastoral prayer. And this, if you read in Psalm 45, you'll note there's a little inscription that says this is a psalm written uh, as a wedding psalm. It's a wedding psalm. But it's not just a wedding psalm for men and women in the community of God's people. It's actually a wedding psalm for Christ and His church. So let us stand together and hear this prayer, this Psalm 45, and then we'll wrap up this evening. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the King. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Beyond your companions, your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen and gold. Hear, O oh daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of the world will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many-colored robes she has led to the king. With her virgin companions following behind her, with joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen.